Isaac Quainall, Tom Stewart. Now that KO has 4K, people will see every detail. I better wash my hair. Oh, I'll book in a spray tan. Maybe a manicure? I'm shining up my tats. Experience amazing detail with 4K. Now on KO. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, supported by DownloadTennis.com, on today's French Open quarterfinal catch-up. Rafa sees off a spirited Schwartzman. Zachary stuns Sviontek. And Pavlichenkova makes it lucky number seven. Kim, the quarterfinals in Paris are coming to a close. We have Djokovic versus Berrettini in the night session at the moment. And I've got to say, kind of watching a little bit on TV, it's been great, I think, to have some proper noise back in Philippe Chatrier. 5,000 fans there. The first time that's been allowed on the night session. And it's great to have so many fans back on the court. Yeah, I think all the fans, uh, all 5,000 of them are probably wanting the match to go on a little bit longer. (laughs) I think they've got about 40 minutes left. uh, So I'm sure they'd like to see a bit more tennis and they'll be edging Berrettini on to get this third set, which is just into a tie break as we start recording. Um, I mean, otherwise it has been pretty regulation for Novak, I have to say. Uh, But I I, I feel like the uh, Novak-Rafa semi-final is... I don't know if they're going to schedule it as an, a full-on night match, but I'm sure part of it will will go into the night match. I'm not sure how they're doing the ticketing, but I feel like they're going to they're, they're going to lump that as a night match. I, f- I feel. I would imagine Amazon will be on the phone to <laughs> Guy Forget and the French Tennis Federation or, or whoever runs uh, Roland Garros to be like, yeah, put that what put that match as the night session. So yeah, we'll be interested to see how that scheduling is. Of course, the men's semi-finals are on the Friday women's semi-finals tomorrow. We will be previewing all of that later on uh, in the podcast, but let's start with the action from today, from day 11. We're going to start with the two women's matches, which have been, I mean, generally speaking, Kim, the quarterfinals uh, of all the women's matches have delivered, I would say. We've had upsets. We've had matches going the distance. It's been really, really thrilling stuff, and it's 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 left us with four semi-finalists that I don't think anyone, I don't think anyone in the world would have been able to predict. Yeah, if, if someone had predicted this particular quartet. They should be getting a lottery ticket, yeah. They, I, will, I want to know that person. Uh, yeah, I mean, today we had Maria Zachary uh, beating the defending champion, Iga Sviontek, in straight sets, 6-4, 6-4. So we were just saying, you know, before in our previous pod that Sviontek had not lost uh, a match at Roland Garros for, for a while now. And she'd won, I think, 22 sets in a row or something, something along those lines. And yeah, that that, that quickly ended and well Sakari just seemed to have an answer really today uh you know she could match Sviontek in terms of the power and Sviontek was just a little off I mean I know she had a uh a medical timeout at two love down in the second set she didn't seem as on it as she usually does but I didn't really notice much like restriction in terms of her movement so I feel like Sakari just you know put something to the court that I don't think anyone was really expecting today. I mean, she's been playing well. She, you know, she beat Kenin uh, in the previous round. She's beaten Elise Mertens. But 
I didn't. I don't think anyone really expected her up against, you know, Shvontek, who's also been playing really, really well. I don't think anyone expected that matchup to result in a Sakari win. No, and I think one of the one of the reasons for that is I think if you look at kind of both players on court, I think I think you know if if I was kind of you know analyzing each of the kind of individuals, I'd I'd still say that Shvontek on her day has more talent. Um, and you know when she was kind of hitting winners on the court, even if she had a you know her thigh kind of heavily strapped, it just felt kind of more effortless. Effortless um, versus Sakari, who you know, I think is one of these players who's just very much kind of applied and dedicated herself to tennis. Um, you know, over the last kind of few years, has really kind of put a plan together and is really kind of making sure that she makes the most of what she has, and you know putting that and bringing that to the court which I think has been really you know it's been one of the the deciding factors I think in terms of who has gone on in this tournament in the you know in the women's draw because you know a lot of the you know the big name players uh have kind of gone out earlier on and it's really been left I think to the you know players who've been able to just you know just turn up and deliver really uh who who are kind of coming through and i would kind of very much put sakari in that that category and as you said from the from the baseline really she wasn't really i think phased or in, or intimidated really by shviontek and you know i don't think shviontek was playing that well you know i thought her you know for i think we've seen her forehand be you know better in other rounds i think her serve as well it just kind of sits up particularly when she has that slice uh second serve it just felt like it just started the point off on the wrong foot. And you could see how Sakari was sort of making inroads into the, the Shviontek game. Because if you give her a ball to hit, Sakari on her day can just, you know, she can just marmalize it. And I think today was, was one of those days. And again, her approach, I think, to kind of having that break and securing that break and not letting the, the medical timeout phase her. It just showed that I think the the improvements in her game and the fact that you know she was able to come through it and she just did not I don't think look like she was gonna you know bottle it at any point. Yeah, and what's impressed me with Zachary, she looks really fit, really fresh. You know, mm. Shrontex played a lot of tennis, like she's been in the doubles and had some long matches, and obviously you know she did have to stop for a, for that timeout today. So I, I don't know how physically she is but I feel like Saccharino she had a little holiday before the tournament she's just looking really really strong and I've just you know although you know we've got four new Grand Slam semi-finalists a couple of them have had really long battles they've also been playing in the doubles you do sort of wonder how they're holding up physically and I just wonder if that now gives Saccharino the edge um it may come down to kind of a physicality at the uh the end of the day but you know We'll see how how that goes. I know adrenaline can power you through. So (laughs) I'm sure the others would have a thing to say about that. Just talking on that kind of singles versus doubles debate, because it has been quite interesting because there are other players who've gone you know, far in other competitions. You know, Krachichkova, I think, was in the singles, ladies doubles and mixed doubles all the way through to the the quarterfinals. Um, You know, a lot of kind of people looking at Svantec and, you know, having that medical timeout, not looking herself and and sort of putting two and two together in in the sense of the amount of of time she's spent on court, particularly with the doubles. I mean, do you think she's going to reflect on this and think in hindsight, maybe I should have just focus on the singles and whether doubles was you know a bit too much i mean we've got to remember i mean one of one of their matches 
get with you know she was playing with Bethany Matic Sands. They beat the top seeds Elise Mertens and and Sue Wei Shea five seven six four seven five came came back from five one down in the deciding set saved seven match points. I mean, yes, that's a, that's great in the moment. Um, but if you've got bigger ambitions, particularly in singles, particularly with you know defending your title, which we know is a very very hard thing to do. Do you think you know they they maybe got it wrong in terms of signing uh, Sviontek up to the singles and doubles? Well, I mean, she did it last time she won. You know, she got to the semi-finals, I think, of the women's doubles like last year, and then and also won the singles. So she's probably thinking, if it worked for her then, why wouldn't it work for her this time? And she was feeling physically good coming into the tournament. I mean, you could also look at it from the, from the other way, like you know, Krajicka, Pavlyuchenko, like they've been doing well in both, but perhaps playing the doubles has meant that they've done so well in the singles. You know, so it's kind of finding that balance, and I guess you only really know by by doing that and she might she might well find that you know come the next grand slam she she does decide to to scale it back but she's still so young it's you're not going to know unless you kind of get out there and do it I suppose but I mean we've had we know we've had so many players who have well I say so many but like obviously Serena for example used to do it back in the day especially like at Wimbledon and and win both both the singles and the doubles so obviously it, it can be done and um it's it's not something we see the men doing, is it? But it's much more doable for the women's uh, side of things. Yeah, that's, I think that's an interesting point because I think it, it can be done. And, uh, you know, I think Jim Courier made a point on, on TV earlier saying, you know, things happen in, in cycles and he wouldn't he wouldn't be surprised for, you know, th- these things to happen again. I think he was saying, you know, in reference to uh, a men's singles and doubles champion, the last person to do that was... Yevgeny Kafelnikov, um, you know, quite a while back. So in his, his in his eyes, he actually thinks that you know these things are cyclical. He could see a men's singles and doubles champion at some point uh, in the future. I personally, I'm not so sure. I, you know, just kind of looking at kind of the ladies' side. I think you know the fact that Serena was able to dominate in the singles and the doubles with Venus. I think that's just a for me that's a completely different era. And the fact that I think this era is. You know, there's a you know the the WTA tour runs really deep now. We you know we've seen this by the fact that the semi finalists are all um, you know relatively well relatively inexperienced, but they're still making it this far. And uh, therefore, I do wonder whether, although you know Shiontek is young and probably wants to play as much tennis impos- as possible because she you know really enjoys it, um, I do wonder whether this era because it is so competitive and the talent runs so deep, particularly on the WTA singles tour, um, whether it, whether it is feasible anymore. Um, And I, you know, I'm, I'm of the opinion. I think, you know, it's probably, uh, it's probably not if you have bigger ambitions. I know there's, there's been sort of success stories. I always remember Barbora Strichkova, you know, at Wimbledon when she took out Conta, I think won the, you know, the ladies doubles title and got to the, you know, the semifinals of the, the singles, but you know, to do both, it feels, I don't know, it feels for me, it's a, it's a big, big ask. I think Lucy uh, Safarova was the last person to get to both finals in the same tournament, uh, which was at Roland Garros. She won the doubles and lost to Serena in the singles, but that was about 10 years ago. Um, but I, yeah, it is once in a blue moon that it kind of happens. <laughs> and I, I do think, yeah, like if you're going to be, I was going to say if you're going to be serious, but then the likes of Ash Barty, you know, she she has been tending to to 
to enter the doubles but then you know she's only got one slam so far so <laughs> has it paid off I don't know but I do certainly think there is a role for players like Krichichkova you know she's been a doubles number one like formerly known for for her her double success you know she won Roland Garros doubles in 2018 so it's like a really good I think pathway for some players to go down earlier in their career because they might have a lot of success on the doubles but then later on it will translate into the singles um so I guess it whatever works for you there's not really one set path is there it's no, because, you know, we, we were speaking, I think, you know, last season, the fact that Sabalenka and, and Mertens sort of agreed to, although they were having really great success, they sort of agreed it, agreed to part ways, uh, you know, for they, so that they could focus on their singles careers. But still play every, every now and then. But yeah, there's definitely, I think you're right. I think there's not like one set path and it, it will be, I will be, I will be interested to see if Shiontech is signed up to, the doubles competition at Wimbledon, given you know what what has happened here, um, I saw that Andy Murray tweet, tweeted her. Some people talking about it, the tweet of death, um, you know, in regards to the competition. But uh, you know, I don't know if there's going to be any chance of a Shiontek Murray mixed doubles team at Wimbledon. But uh, yeah, I don't know if if I think Shiontek for me, I think she's just going to have to. As much as she might feel like she wants to play doubles for me, I would just I would just stick to the singles. Well, you better get on on the phone to to her coach <laughs> and have your two cents worth, yeah. Joel. Uh, no, I mean uh, Shriontek Andy mixed doubles pairing would be really cool, but oh, it'd be so much fun. Andy should um, do less of the uh, the tweeting, or uh, I don't know. Yeah, just put the curse <laughs> on it. But um, yeah, I mean Shriontek, she was trying to do the impossible, and that was defend a Roland Garros title because I think the last person to do that was Justine Enan. You know what 20 years ago or something so uh, it's been a long long time and in fact that anyone's really defended a slam title you know apart from Serena I know Azarenka did it at the Australian Open but again that was like 2012-2013 kind of time I think so it's been a long long time um but Zachary will have to get through um Barbora Krachichkova to try and make the final because she came through against Coco Goff this was a bit of a strange match because Coco Goff was you felt she was um, much more likely to win that first set. She had five set points. Um, she had a couple in the tie break and a couple, um, I think, serving for it as well. And yeah, Krichichkova managed to uh, to save all of those and then end up, you know, winning the tie break and then very, very quickly went up to a five love lead in the second set. So it, it really went away from Goff very, very quickly. And she managed to you know, get a few games back, but it just, it just wasn't enough. Um, it wasn't the greatest quality match. I think it's fair to say a lot of errors, uh, from both sides, but obviously Krichichka managed to get the job done. And Coco Goff, you know, I think we sort of forget that she's still so young and we expect so much. And actually she's had a really good tournament. And although she's fallen, you know, today it's, and she will be ruining those set points. She's still had a very, very good run here. Yeah, it it was a match where I I don't think both players sort of hit the heights that they uh have 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 hit or kind of en route. I mean, just looking at the unforced error count, I mean Krichichkova hit twenty eight unforced errors, Coco Goff hit forty one. Um, so I don't know if if nerves were a factor in the fact that you know there was maybe that inexperience there. I think in terms of kind of Coco Goff, I think she can look back on this and look just generally back on the clay season as a very productive one. I think uh, you know she's done kind of really really well. I think 
you know for me if if you know I was, I was in a camp and, and thinking about kind of you know what I need to kind of work on I, I feel she just needs to look at those five set points really in the in the first set and I think there were if there is one thing that she can work on is is perhaps kind of shot selection uh you know at in the big moments because I think that kind of told a little bit and you know perhaps if her shot selection was a bit better um you know maybe she could have carried that momentum and, and also won in straights but you know wasn't the case and Krachichkova who you know isn't as you know isn't as young I think she's kind of tw- you know 25 years old has been on the tour you know she started in in doubles um, and has very much seen you know this season very much as a kind of singles breakthrough I just think her little bit of extra experience sort of told and even though you know she was kind of five set points down uh, in that first set she really I think made sure that you know she stayed composed and, and kept herself in it and I think Coco Goff was a bit kind of surprised and taken aback by that and you know she quickly found herself five love down in that second set and although she kind of brought it out a little bit to make it a bit more respectable you know six three in the end she wasn't able to kind of, you know, mount a, a serious kind of comeback. So, you know, I think there's obviously work for Coco Goff to do, but you've got to remember she's 17 years old in a quarterfinal at Roland Garros. That is that is seriously impressive stuff. And we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't forget that. Yeah, I think because she had that breakthrough like two years ago, mm. that was when all the hype was. And now we're just like, oh, it's Coco Goff. Of oh, course it's run of the mill. Oh, she yeah. should be getting to the semis. Yeah, exactly. But she was a junior champion here only three years ago. So that would have been a hell of a quick, you know, turnaround if she'd like gone and won the singles only three years later. Um, yes, I think also, yeah, Krachichka, she was very level headed. And also I felt Zidanejek uh, yesterday was also very calm and, and a bit more composed throughout and I think that's obviously helped because in these like push comes to shove moments they've been able to save those set points and break points and what have you um obviously it does mean we've got four four first time semi-finalists and the last time that happened Joel at a slam on the women's side of events was 1978 at the Australian Open which was won by Chris O'Neill um so yeah it's been a very very long time and I mean does this increase the pressure for each of them because it's you know, it's almost, I mean, I know Sakari is now the highest ranked woman left in the draw. Pavlichenkova, Sakari, you know, you'd have to think that them two are the favourites. But does that increase the pressure or, you know, because they're sort of up against players who are also in the same situation? Or would they, would you rather face, you know, a Serena Williams or um, a Muguruza or someone who's experienced at, at the latter stage of the slam? It, because you, you sort of are the underdog and, you, you know, you haven't got anything to lose. You know, if we're looking at kind of Cinderella stories, I think, you know, we'll, we'll come on to it in, in the second half. Pavlichenkova is probably the one you're kind of rooting for, given her time on the tour, given that this is her seventh, uh, seventh time lucky to get to a, a semi final at a Grand Slam. Uh, I think that's the, the Cinderella story. I think, you know, Zachary will feel like she's the favorite. You know, she knocked out the, you know, the, the pre tournament favorite in, in Sviontek. So maybe she's assumed that mantle. And you certainly think those two players will be the one, ones potentially going in as a slight favorites into their semi finals, potentially to get to the final. I mean, I was just kind of, you know, reading some kind of interesting points on, you know, on this kind of group of players that we have. And the fact that, as you said, we do have four first time semi finalists. And, you know, the likelihood is on the men's side, we're going to have. Uh, Novak Djokovic and Rafael Nadal play each other, I think, for like the 58th time. And, you know, I, I, I was kind of, you know, wondering in my head, you know, does it hurt the WTA 
tour that it's almost like does this suggest it's almost too unstable i know we've kind of uh, you know liked the fact i think that you know we have these sort of surprise stories come up every now and again uh you know first time semi-finalists like you know podoroska last year but is this group of four is that is that almost too crazy is that too unstable and do we do we want a you know some sort of resemblance of a i don't know a big three or a big four or whoever it is to add some sort of um you know stabi- like stability there because you know it's it just it, it feels although you know it's, it's great a great achievement for all, all four individuals involved um is is it too i don't know is is it too crazy just kind of looking at it and I, you know there will be I'm, I'm no doubt there will be people out there looking at that set and thinking that that shouldn't be uh two french open semi-finals I think for me, I like the balance that we've got at the moment where on the men's side, you've got these very well-established personalities and, you know, people going for the history books and then you've got the rivalries and you've got all the history behind that and everyone knows, you know, their household names. But on the women's side, it's got that unpredictability. You get to kind of get more up and coming players. It's a there's a fairer distribution, I guess, of the top prices uh, because every slab, it seems to be someone different and um, you get to know a wider variety but perhaps you know there there aren't as many household names and you don't get the the same sort of rivalries and it's harder for people that I guess aren't following tennis week in week out week out to to get to know the players as well or to remember them but I mean it's difficult isn't it because we're like in tennis like we're following it 52 weeks (laughs) of the year Mm. whereas someone who maybe just watches a bit of the slams or turns up for the final you know maybe they would have a different perspective on it and they might only want to watch the women's final if it if it was Serena against you know Azarenka or something but I think maybe you know things are cyclical it 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 may change you know when the big three go in in the men's it's probably going to have a bit of a period a bit like maybe the women's now uh like we've got now that Serena's not doing her business uh so I think we've got to appreciate it for the different, like the values on, on both sides of it, I, I think. Um, and I think it would, would be boring if we had two tours that were kind of very dominated by just a handful of players. Yeah, they're definitely, definitely different beasts. Um, let's let's move on to the men's side and the, the two men's matches we have had today or well we've had one complete one. We've got Djokovic and Berrettini I think in a full set at the moment but um, Kim, Nadal fan. We've had Nadal beat uh, Diego Schwartzman 6-3, love I mean, this was a. I mean, this was a pretty fun match for the first three sets. Um, Schwartzman was a very, very game opponent. I think for Nadal, I always think he actually brings out his best uh, for Nadal at the French Open. Like not, not many other, not like not many other players do actually. I think when they they face him but um you know Nadal was able to get it done he ended in a seriously seriously quick fashion I think he won uh 20 of 21 service points in a row from uh that 3-4 deficit in the third set but I mean it was a pretty it was a pretty strong way to finish the match yeah after that blip at the end of the second set when I think Schwartz won three games in a row and, and clinched that second set uh yeah it was four all in, in the third set and you sort of thought well this is kind of the critical time of the match for Schwartzman if he wants to make a real go of it and uh yeah Raf obviously got that break and then managed to win uh, I think the last nine games straight and 
taking a bit of a leaf out of the whole uh, of Djokovic and what he was uh, doing, you know, after Massetti uh, went two sets up, you know, it was just absolute obliteration really for the last uh, sort of phase of the match. But I think, like you said, with Schwartzman, I always get the impression that he loves playing Rafa and he like really relishes the challenge and he was, he does bring it. And, but you always did feel that inevitably like, you know, ca- can he, really for for five sets uh you know play as well as he was you know at moments especially in that second set and that was always going to be a bit unlikely that he would be able to sustain that um even though he has obviously got a win over Rafa in in Rome that's obviously a, a very different at a, a three set event you know the the way Schwartzman played particularly in the second set and you know the the first half of that third set was was very very impressive and you know it, it did you know it did make Nadal have to think a bit differently you know there were you know there were you know there were passages of play where Schwartzman was the player when you know it was an extended extended points where you know it was like nine plus strokes I think where uh Schwartzman was was coming out on top and Nadal was having to bring out the you know, the drop shot, which we don't, I feel really see that much from him, um, to really kind of, uh, you know, kind of change the, change the flow and change the momentum. It worked, you know, it worked for him in the end, but I think he was, yeah, it was a little bit, um, you know, I imagine it was a, bit, a little bit nerve wracking in that third set because there were genuine moments where you, you wondered whether Schwartzman was going to go two sets to one up. Um, I, I was surprised though because, you know, going into this tournament, I was just looking at Schwartzman's clay season. He's had a couple of quarterfinals, but he's also had a couple of, you know, first round um, exits as well. And he is a player who I think really does sort of bring it. He's able to bring it together at Roland Garros. It was, it was, just, it sort of reminded me actually of the situation kind of Dominic team was in, I thought, you know, pre kind of pre Roland Garros in the sense that, you know, he hadn't had a good lead up. And maybe kind of Roland Garros was going to inspire him to take him further into the competition. And it obviously, unfortunately, didn't work out for Dominic Team. But I certainly think it did for Diego Schwartzman getting to the quarterfinals, pretty much doing, you know, the best he can do. And, you know, he did he did take a set off Nadal and he stopped Nadal's 36-set winning streak. Uh, he also, I think, stopped his 38-set winning streak uh, a few seasons ago as well. Um, so yeah, he definitely does. He definitely does relish the the competition and and facing, you know, one of the you know the greatest of all time opposite him. It you don't get the sense that it it, it really is a there's there's no sort of fear factor there really is there. No, I feel like they get on well. And I mean, Schwartzman, I think, yeah, he doesn't fear. I think he he relishes it. Uh, that's the sense I get as well. And um, he just seems like a very nice bloke, doesn't he, Schwartzman? So, um, he, you know, <laughs> even as a Rafa fan, when he was, he's up against it, uh, you know, Schwartzman was sort of playing very well. You know, he, it's it's not, I, I don't know. I don't know how to phrase it. But um, yeah, I would just feel like he's a friendly foe. Um if that makes sense. But um, yeah, Rafa's now into his 35th Grand Slam semi-final, I think. Um, and I suppose it would be his 14th Grand Slam fi- semi-final at Roland Garros. Obviously, he hasn't lost one uh, in his previous, but that may well change come Friday when Novak Djokovic, unless Berrettini stages the most unlikely comeback um, when Novak Djokovic is, is down the other end. I mean, let's just talk a bit about the, the Novak Berrettini match. It's been quite regulation, I have to say, 6-3, 6-2 in those first two sets for Novak. You sort of feel like it, 
is this the best that Berrettini can can do? <laughs> because, you know, he was being made to look very, very ordinary and he has clinched the third set on a tie break, but I still feel like that's the best it's going to get. But, you know, I may be wrong. I may be wrong. I watched those first two sets and it did very much, I felt, go to the form book and... Djokovic was very much the extractor, I think, of of Berrettini's, I think, quite obvious kind of weaknesses against the the big three. Particularly, yes, he's got a massive forehand and the crowd absolutely love it when he hits a winner from it. But there's still some deficiencies there, particularly on the backhand side. Um, I know, I think it has, I think though it has improved kind of this season, but it's certainly not as strong, I think, as it needs to be if he has kind of serious ambitions, I think, of being a, you know, a mainstay in the, you know, in the top 10 or even pushing kind of the top five. Um, the only kind of question I had was, you know, whether he could bring out, you know, particularly in those first two sets, I didn't see much of the the Berrettini sliced back, single-handed backhand. And I thought that would have been a shot that I, you know, if I was facing Djokovic on a clay court, think could potentially work quite well. And, you know, I think we saw, you know, with Dan Evans, I always go back to Dan Evans back, um, <laughs> where, you know, he was really kind of focusing on that uh, single-handed slice, giving Djokovic no pace. And I wondered whether Berrettini could have employed that a bit more in those first two sets. Um, he liked to go to the drop shot quite a bit. And, you know, I always I always think it's never a good side if you go to the drop shot in, in like, set one. Um, it just sort of says to me that, you know, you're not confident in going toe-to-toe from the baseline with your opponent. Um so, you know, I think there's certainly things he can work on. Well, we'll have to wait and see, you know, with the, the outcome of the match. But I think Djokovic was looking very much in dominating an, an imperious form in terms of his serve and his return. I mean, in that second set, uh, Berrettini won only 22% uh, of points on his second serve. So he must have picked it up in the third. But those first two sets, it does suggest a little bit like Nadal in that fourth set against Schwartzman that he's definitely coming to the boil at the right time. Yeah, Djokovic proving why he's the uh, the best returner in the game. And I mean, wh- where's Dan Evans when when you need him, hey? I think I feel like he's 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 like the new bible, how to beat Novak on, on a clay court. <laughs> I mean, I feel like Novak got off to a bit of a slow start in his in his clay season, but he's very much there now um playing, you know, the the best tennis that he can so um yeah he's looking very sharp uh we're going to take a quick break now but uh do join us in a moment where we'll be looking back on all the results from day 10 so don't go anywhere This is The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, supported by DownloadTennis.com. And now we're going to move on to look at all the action from day 10 of Roland Garros, uh, where we saw, well, two women's quarterfinals that very much went the distance. Um, I thought it was quite remarkable that we had two in a row that kind of both went, um, you know, sort of six all at least in, in that final set. And I think they both went longer than the two men's uh, quarterfinal matches on that day. I think they did. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, Roland Garros, you don't have a tie break uh, in the third set or in the fifth set for the men. So it can go on, you know, for as long as you like, really. But um, let's start with Tamara. Zidanecek has needed that, this competition, hasn't she? She has, because she beat Bianca Andreescu in in the first round, uh, 9-7 in the third. And kind of a similar story, really. She she had to save break points, um, I guess, at 
at seven all in, in well at, at yeah seven all in that match um she saved them and then managed to close out close out the win so she was sort of in a yeah very much towards the end of the match she was in a you know in, not in the ascendancy shall we say and a similar thing happened in, in the Bedosa match she um was break points down and you thought oh if Bedosa breaks here like surely Surely she's got it. But um, Zidane was able to to save them. Two forehand winners. Um, and then she came through and, and broke Bedosa. And um, yeah, I mean, she was very composed, I thought. I thought Bedosa was getting a lot more worked up uh, on the court, whereas Zidane seemed a, a bit calmer. And, you know, she's only 23. She's very, very young still. And obviously she is very much the lowest ranked player left in. She, she's she's 85 in the world. And I I, I genuinely don't think anyone would have foreseen this and she hasn't even you know I don't think she's had like the most amazing clay court season it's it's not even like we could have predicted it from from the form book coming in it's just kind of come out of nowhere so she's kind of this year's like Podoroska I suppose we don't really want to like compare her you know she's her own person of course but it's you know she is the lowest ranked slam semi-finalist since Podoroska (laughs) um so yeah and I think what what has been impressive is those results that have gone, you know, over time, gone the distance in that third set. You know, you talked about the Andrescu round one match here, the Bedosa match, 8-6. And she also beat Eugenie Bouchard, 8-6, in round one at Wimbledon in, in 2019. And she credits, you know, she credits her sports psychologist um, really to kind of help her um, improve, you know, improve her game. And, um, you know, we've seen that with, you know, Sviontek has, has brought one on board and it's paid, you know, paid dividends for her. And I do think with Zidanecek as well, it is also paying dividends. And I think that the more and more, the more and more players who kind of talk about, um, how essential it is and, and we're seeing it in the results, you know, the fact that she's able to stay composed and really tough it out and, you know, secure, you know, the victory at the, you know, the very end of a long, three setter um i think that's going to make people realize it's more and more of a a compulsory thing that you need you know in your team and again in this match i think bedosa just got you know maybe she saw her head up in lights and you know got kind of potentially overwhelmed by that situation but the pressure i think got to her a little bit and you know obviously we were talking about bedosa probably as the favorite for that match and wasn't able to get it done. She will be disappointed. Um, you know, she has had a great clay season regardless. Um, but the fact that Zidanecek has, has come through, she, you know, she has been, she's just been very, very impressive. And although I think her, her route to the semi-finals has had probably a bit more sort of twists and turns than some of the, you know, the other, other players, um, you know, she's here and she's going to be ready for a fight. Yeah, you just hope that physically she's okay, you know, after having quite a lot of long matches. Um, but she seems to not be phased when she, you know, goes a, a breakdown, for example, mm. in a set. Cause I know in that first set against Bedosa, she was, you know, like I think a double breakdown, um, you know, managed to reel Bedosa back in. And she does, I th- I genuinely, yeah, the, the sports psychologist must be the critical factor, I think. And I mean, I wonder, <laughs> will she go all the way? Will it be, you know, two, two Roland Garros winners, you know, in a row that kind of are very open about the fact that they travel with a, a sports psychologist? She was meant to be playing uh, bowl this week, uh, which is a WTA one two five event. She had to pull out because obviously she got to. Well, she's still in, in the French Open, but she really enjoys playing that tournament. She was a two time champion uh, in 2018, 2019. She was meant to come back. It was cancelled in 2020. 
it's effectually known, Kim, as Boland Garros. Uh, I am, <laughs> I am informed. Brilliant. Um, I love that. <laughs> Who came up with that? That's so I don't know. <laughs> yeah, maybe the the promoters, the promoters for it, probably. Um, but uh, yeah, really, really impressive. It just shows you that that transition that she's been able to she's been able to make. And again, a bit like Karatsev, it doesn't matter where you you know where you kind of ply your trade for your you know the. The, you know the start of your um you know career on on the tour whether that's in the the lower down tournaments they can they can pay dividends you know further into your career and i think you know particularly um you know on the clay where Zidane Zek is at home um she's making that count uh, in paris no for sure and she will be playing anastasia pavichenkova tomorrow who came through in, in very similar fashion against uh, elena ribakina 9-7 in the third set so they went slightly further than the other two um and yeah i mean ribakina took the first set on a tie break and then pavichenkova sort of pretty dominant in the second set 6-2 and then yeah it was a very solid last set um you know, and seven all, I was thinking, who is going to break first? Um, but I feel like in the end, you know, they know each other very well. They're playing doubles together. I think they lost today, unfortunately. What a though. strange experience that must be. Yeah. To, you know, so much on the line, but, you know, keep your doubles partner close, but your singles opponent even closer. <laughs> Um, yeah, it must have been very weird, like mentally still of that. But, um, you know, Pavs came through. I think Rybakina, I guess the inexperience probably showed, I think, a little bit when push came to shove. I think she was a bit too erratic. Um, but Pavichenkova, you know, it's really nice that she's finally got this gr- uh, Grand Slam quarterfinal duck off her back because she'd been in six before, never won one. Um, and actually has never won a doubles uh grand slam quarterfinal either i don't think so yeah she really must have um been relieved but i think she's kind of said that like she's obviously wanted to get to this stage for such a long time that now she's finally done it she's sort of she said it was quite a neutral reaction so it sounds like she's obviously not getting too ahead of herself she's just focused on you know the rest of the work that needs to be done um because obviously she will be the hot favorite for tomorrow and i guess you know how is she going to handle that pressure because it's you know she's been around a while yes she's got lots of experience but like she hasn't been in this situation before none of them have so you just don't know how they're going to handle it to be to be quite honest with you yeah she's the first russian woman to reach a grand slam semi-final since elena vezhnina reached the last four at wimbledon in 2016 and that is quite a long time i think you know if we think about kind of you know russian the pedigree of russian women's tennis over the years you know particularly in that i think golden era where we had you know sharapova mishkina uh petrova zvonareva all those all those uh all those players um you know to think to go you know what was that five years uh, for Russia um, to get to their next semi-finalist. And to think it's Pavlyuchenkova is probably quite surprising, but it's very, again, it's very, very impressive. And I think, you know, a, a lot of people will, I think, look at this and think that this is like her getting the, you know, the monkey off her back. And, you know, she's one of those players who I think before this tournament, you know, we talk about players who, you know, who've been world number one and never won a Grand Slam. And, you know, I think Pavlyuchenkova is one of those players who, is is probably you know up to this point was one of the best players not to reach a Grand Slam semi final uh, you know probably across the men and women's um, tours and you know I'm really glad that she's kind of got the the monkey 
off her back now and we'll just have to wait and see if experience um will you know help her in in a really inexperienced field you would you would think so um but again she's she's not been in this situation before so it will be again it will be fascinating to kind of see how that plays out I do wonder if there will be like a physical issue uh, just because she has strapping on her leg. And mm. that's the only thing, you know, cause she's played the doubles as well. I'm just potentially a bit concerned about the fitness side. But I mean, it's exciting because genuinely tomorrow, although Sakari and Pavlochenko are the favourites, I, I don't think they're, they're strong, strong, not strong favourites. Yeah, they're not the yeah. standout favourites, are they? And I actually do think if it's a Krichichkova Zidanezek final, that would be, I mean, that, I mean, I just find that amazing because like how random, but it's also quite wonderful. I think if that was to be the case, so um, we will see. Um, But yeah, I think that's crazy that the Russians haven't reached this stage for for five years. I I was surprised when I saw that because you just sort of think of them as quite a dominant nation (laughs) still, but actually, yeah, there hasn't, there has been a bit of a void. So, you know, uh, Pavlochenko has finally broken a little bit and we'll see if she can go any further but um well two players actually that have both have russian heritage uh on the men's side and we're playing their quarterfinal yesterday and that's uh sasha zverev and alejandro davidovich fakina uh, this was pretty routine wasn't it the first set was a bit strange they broke they were breaking each other left right and center uh but zverev managed to come through the first set six four and then kind of rattle through the next two sets six one six one he was done in just over an hour and a half. Uh, so he's sort of very nicely gone through into the his first Roland Garros semi-final. Yes. Uh, I don't think Davidov- Davidovich Fikina, uh really turned up. I think, you know, he had had a lot of miles in his leg, in his legs already getting to the quarterfinals. And I think he was, I think he was already out of steam, um, you know, in particularly kind of going in yeah you know, i think going into the match and then certainly in in sets 2 and 3 and it was quite easy for zverev um i think you know a lot of people kind of looking at zverev's game and and the fact that yes he's reached the semi-finals at roland garros i think for the first time but has he played his best tennis to get there has he needed to play his best tennis to get there no he hasn't um he's had a very um you know he's had a very very kind draw but he's made the most of it you know it's He's 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 playing and winning. I think he's winning ugly, um, to use that sort of classic expression. But I mean, you just got to look at his sort of match times on court, and it's gone from two hours and forty nine minutes, two hours twenty six minutes, two hours and eight minutes, one hour fifty four minutes, and then one hour thirty six minutes for his quarterfinals. So he can't he can he can't blame any sort of physical ailments. I think on on how he does from here on in um it's just i think now making sure that he can turn up his game a notch because i don't think we've truly seen that apart from i think glimpses in that nishikuri match um of of his best tennis yeah i mean he almost won the us open winning ugly so perhaps this is Mm. actually what he needs to do and it just works for him (laughs) um yeah it's i mean obviously sits pass will be next who's going to be you know, obviously his toughest opponent. Up. Yeah, Big massive step, step up. up. Sitsipas is playing so well. Um, I mean, I ex- fully expect Sitsipas to win that one. I don't I don't think Zverev's had the level required. But, you know, stranger things have happened. Um, but, yeah, yeah I mean, Davidovich Fakino in this match, he was he was gone. You know, um, his, his just his body obviously wasn't. Uh, I think afterwards in the press conference, he said he just, he woke up that morning and he was just so like, 
done. He had spent 13 hours and 10 minutes on courts yeah. uh, in his first kind of four matches. So, you know, to come up against someone like Zverev, you know, top 10 player, um, was going to be very much a tall order. I mean, just going back to kind of Zverev, uh, you know, reaching the semifinals, he's now done that. Um, or better at three of the four majors obviously got to the final at the US Open but a lot of people kind of talking about the runs you know the the caliber of opponents he's had to face and I you know we all understand that you know draw is you know draw is a draw and you can only beat what's in front of you Um, but just to kind of put it into kind of context of, of who he has kind of had to face up for so far I mean at Roland Garros um, this year he's had to defeat zero of top 45 ranked opponents Um on his march through to the final of the US Open in 2020, he had to defeat zero of top 26 ranked um, opponents. Um, and then in the Australian Open in, in 2020, when he reached the semi-finals, um, he beat Rublev in round four. And then, you know, he beat Vavrinka in, in that quarterfinal. But again, he defeated zero of top 14 opponents. So it feels like he's been getting some really good draws over the last few seasons. And you know, it, it's still his his record against the the top is still not very good. He's zero and nine against top ten in majors, and there's you know that that is obviously something he's going to have to put right if he has serious ambitions of of winning a slam. And you know, coming up against Sissipas in the semi final, although he's been in this situation before, he's going to have to break new ground if he wants to get to the final. Yeah, I mean, that's why Sitsipas, I think, is the hot favourite for that match. I think Zverev's got a winning record over Sitsipas. I think he leads it, um, their head-to-head like 5-2. But um, Sitsipas has been like the like in-form clay quarter, you know, along with Rafa this, this season. So you kind of fully expect Sitsipas to come through. I mean, he was quite convincing against uh, Medvedev last night. Uh, I mean, Medvedev, I think, should really have got a set in that match. He had two set points in the second yep. set. Second set, definitely. And he was a breakup, I think, in the third set. Um, but he was, like with Medvedev, we know he's quite hot-headed and I felt that he was losing it a bit at points in that match. Um, and Sitsipas just kind of, you know, remained calm throughout. And and obviously, we, we saw Medvedev have a bit of a rant with the umpire. Um I think he he sort of blamed the umpire uh, for, you know, the fact that he said, if I lose the match, it's your fault uh, because there was a scoreboard <laughs> that was flashing and he was moaning at the umpire about it. But obviously the umpire uh, wasn't going to do anything about that. Uh- <laughs> Kim, we need to talk about match point because Medvedev hit an underarm serve on match point uh Sispas put it away and won the match um but for me that really was like <laughs> I think Sispas put Medvedev in his out- outside of his comfort zone um I think Medvedev sort of realized that he wasn't going to win this match just kind of plying from the baseline you know we saw him kind of come to the net and you know I, you know to his credit you know we saw variety that you know we know that is in you know, Medvedev, Medvedev's, um, you know, kind of toolbox on, on a tennis court. Um, but really for me, when he brought out the underarm serve on match point, it felt like he had kind of thrown the towel in. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, uh, Sitspass called it a very millennial shot. Yeah. <laughs> I think afterwards, which was, I suppose it is in a way, isn't it? Still on match point down, that's, that's quite bold. I just feel like it's inevitable we're going to get to a point where someone, someone, some bright spark is going to try an underarm serve in a Grand Slam final on match point. If Nick Kyrgios gets there, that is 100% happening, but 
I can see that being something that is new ground, I think, in the in the future. But um yeah, I think I think I think it wasn't uh although the kind of head to head was vastly in Medvedev's favour, I think we all sort of felt that that Sissipas was a favourite going into this. And you know, as as you kind of rightly said, his sort of cool and, and calm nature that I think he has applied to his get applied to his game this season meant that he doesn't he doesn't feel like he's getting kind of flustered. Um whereas you know, before maybe a season go season ago, he was getting frustrated, perhaps a little bit easier. Um, but here it was, it felt very, you know, it felt very fine. And even though he was kind of set points down, he didn't he didn't panic. Yeah, and I think you know, I mean, Medvedev schooled Sitsipas in the Australian Open semi final, so it's sort of, I guess, revenge uh, for Sitsipas for that. And you know, he's this is now his third straight semi final at Slam. He's probably going to reach his first final, so it's paying off uh, all this work that he's been doing. Just quickly before we go on to other things, he spoke, Medvedev interestingly spoke about the night session and he was not happy that that match was being played. It was the last match being played in front of zero people. Um, and he said he was quoted in his kind of press conference saying, basically, Raylon Garros prefer Amazon over people. And, and that was referencing the fact that, um, Amazon Prime, um, have, I think, French Open coverage in France exclusively. And I think they would have been pushing for the best match of the day to be in that night slot. And that's why, that's why we got the Medvedev Sissipas match here. But he obviously wasn't happy about it because he wants to play in front of fans and there were no fans at that night session. And he felt like that sort of, you know, I think was a bit of a, an annoyance for him. I mean, where do you, where do you kind of, where do you kind of stand on that? Do you think he's got a point or, you know, obviously I think with, you know, Amazon, it's kind of like they want to bring it out to a big audience. So that's why they want match of the day. Where, 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 what are your kind of thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, obviously if it had been one night later, they would have had fans because obviously, the curfews changed and like Novak and Berrettini have fans tonight, although they've just had to suspend play because the fans have all had to like go out the stadium, which this is where I kind of at the moment, if I, this is where I kind of disagree with the night sessions at all, because I think if there's going to be a curfew and you're going to have fans rifling out the stadium at 11 PM and you've had to physically stop the match um, to, to let all those fans out, you know, it, it changes the whole momentum and it can completely change possibly the result of a match. Um, obviously, if it rains and stuff like that, you 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 have to because it's the weather. You can't control that. But I just feel like if they know there's still a curfew in place, I know they want to sell their separate tickets and they've got the TV to think about. But it's not exactly like a full arena. So it's only 5,000 fans. So in, if, if it was a normal year and, you know, you've got full capacity, like next year might be, then I understand the night sessions be, having been a thing. But I think for the whole of last week, you know, none of the night sessions had any fans. Like, should you even bother with them? Should you not just schedule like how you used to? Four, four matches, you start at 10 a.m. You just keep going and carry on. Um and I, I don't know, I, I do have, I definitely agree with Medvedev to a point that, you know, they're just thinking more of TV schedules than uh, fans. And I guess of the the Novak Rafa semi on Friday, I just feel like, I guess that the the old fashioned way would have been, you know, the first men's semi probably would have started at like 2pm or something and they would have just played two in a row. But what's going to happen now? Are they going to, 
you know, the, they'll start the, the second one at like 7 p.m. or, or 8 p.m. I, I don't you know. You would for, think so. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure Amazon, if. Yeah, you know, but that's where Keith, I. Keith Forche has, has basically said, you know, Amazon want the match, the best match. And maybe that's why it's sort of, you know, leaned towards. Maybe they've, I don't, you know, I obviously don't know, but, you know, we've seen that the scheduling has meant that the, the, it's it's been a men's match more often than not. But you would you would expect if it's going on that sort of rationale of the best match of the day, you're going to probably expect Nadal Djokovic in that night session. Yeah, for me, I mean, I know they do this sort of see the US Open, the Australian Open, and that's like not like normal. We expect that, I guess. But I don't know. For me, clay court tennis, it's it's outdoors for me, and it's day, daytime. Doesn't feel like doesn't feel it feels a bit weird, doesn't it? It's yeah. not Friday night lights like in New York City. Um, it doesn't feel like that at the moment, particularly, I, you know, it's only one match as well. Um, you know, it's not like at the US Open where there's two matches in that night session. So, yeah, I think I don't know. I think there's, there's sort of obviously still work to be done there. I also think like obviously the Australian Open, um, they have a, a, a semi-final for the men in, in the evening. But I think the final... Is the final? Yeah, the final is an evening as well, isn't it? But so they give them a bit more time, whereas the final of the French is still going to be in the afternoon on a Sunday. So if you're scheduling the second men's semi-final really late on the Friday, that's perhaps quite a considerably less amount of time for the that winner to recover for the Sunday. I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just a bit like, I'm, I sound like I'm really anti the night sessions, but I do think there's like an integrity issue when you are putting like Amazon Prime above, uh, like the players perhaps and and their welfare or their hopes for the tournament or I don't know I'm just sort of yeah it just I guess I'm I'm a bit of a a slow burner when it comes to accepting clay court night sessions at Roland Garros <laughs> um, I mean it's something that Wimbledon probably won't ever do because they have the um you know the residential curfew in place you know at the best of times so I don't think we'd see that at Wimbledon well, never say never. I guess they are trying to innovate. But <laughs> anyway, um, with Medvedev going out, Joel, uh, we do actually have a result in our collector set almost. So we've ended up with a four-way tie uh, between uh, Lee, uh, Jen, Stephen and Carol. So well done to the four of them for, uh, you know, kind of coming joint first. But we will um, we will be having a tie-break question to decide the final, you know, winner because as much as we'd love to send out four mugs uh we we, we can't yeah. party shot budget it just cannot stretch that far kim uh but Stephen and carol in the same family so perhaps if one of them wins they could share a mug i don't know <laughs> <laughs> um, but we'll be sending out a tiebreak question to those uh individuals in the next kind of day or so so if you're listening Look out for that. Get your thinking caps on. Um, but let's just have a quick look at what else is going on, Joel. Um, Joe Salisbury is really excitingly in the men's, uh, sorry, in the mixed doubles final tomorrow, which is first on Philip Chatrier. Um, so I think it begins at 11 a.m. UK time. Uh, and that's Vashnina and Karatsev are the opponents. So uh, it's a pretty decent pair, isn't it? Vashnina and Karatsev. Yeah. Nice for Vashnina as well, because she's just kind of come back. So that's, if that's yeah. a pairing at the Olympics, that is going to be, that would be quite a tricky, tricky opposition, I think, to face. But yeah, I'm really rooting for Joe Salisbury in that one. I think, I think we haven't won in mixed doubles at Roland Garros for a long time. So uh, it'll be a nice piece of history, I think, for him if he's able to secure the win. Yeah, definitely. Um, although if Fishnina and Karatsev do win, then I'd be pleased for Karatsev because this will be his first Grand Slam of, of any discipline. 
and Vejnina as well coming back from coming back onto the tour you know got to the third round at, uh, you know in the singles all the way through to the final in the mixed doubles again a very good very good story for for both of them yeah for sure and then that's followed by Pavlichenkova and Sedanjek and then Krachichkova Sakari uh so yeah the women's semis will be on sort of after two UK time um I mean quickly Joel predictions who are you going for uh for the women yeah um so I am gonna have to go in Pavlyuchenkova Zidanjek I'm going with Pavs I am I'm bought into the uh the Cinderella story I think you know she's waited a long time to get to this point I don't think she's gonna um I don't think she's going to falter I think you know I think she'll be very composed and she will be able to kind of bring out her best tennis you know the tennis that got her through you know Sa- you know Sabalenka Azarenka as well um you know I think you know with all of the the time that's you know she's she's poured in I think to her career I really think this could be a kind of crowning moment for that and I I don't I don't expect her to kind of fall to Zidanejek I think she'll just have too much in her game so if she can stay you know there might be injury concerns but if she can stay kind of physically fit I've got Pavlyuchenkova coming through in two sets think it's going to be a straight sets job interesting okay uh i've got i've, I've also got pavlichenkova um also straight sets i think i feel like Zachary will come through the other one but i think that might be three sets but krachichkova to be fair krachichkova has been playing very very well she beat svitolina in straight sets didn't she um and she's had some very solid wins and she's on a 10 match win streak so I mean, I actually wouldn't be surprised if, if it's Krachichkova in three sets um, or or Krachichkova in the... I mean, I don't know. I feel like Zachary was my my favourite, but it's I'm so undecided. <laughs> yeah, I think for me, Zachary, Krachichkova is more of a... It's more of a 50-50. They're both playing well. I think Krachichkova has more momentum behind her, but the confidence that that win, Zachary... Uh, would have had over Sviontek. It'll be it'll be interesting to see if she can bring that confidence into that match tomorrow. I mean, it's a it's quite a quick turnaround for for them because you know they're playing uh, on consecutive days. Um, but if you're going to have to ask me, I would probably say I still feel I might. I'm going to say although I quite like Krzyzewski's odds, uh, I'm going to go Sakari in three. Um, I just think that again, I think. You know, the way I kind of, I was, you know, looking at her and her kind of presence on court against Fiontech, I just felt like she got, had the bit between her teeth and she's not really ready to let it go. And although Krachichkova is a very, you know, can be a very aggressive player, so, so can Sakari. And I think that she is able to kind of handle that. So I'm going to go with Sakari in three. And Kim, just looking at the men's semi-finals, uh, we've got one of them set in stone: Sissipas versus Zverev. Sissipas leads the head-to-head five-two. He's probably played the better tennis this tournament. Uh, Zverev hasn't really come to the fore, or we've—I don't think we've seen the best tennis from from Zverev. Um, so, I, you know, for me, I, I would I would be surprised if Zverev comes through this. I've got a back the person who I think has been playing the better more consistently high level tennis and that's Sissipas so I'm going to go Sissipas in four yeah I'm going to go Sissipas in straight sets uh he's got a leading head-to-head I think I said it was the other way around earlier but it's actually (laughs) 5-2 to Sissipas uh my bad apologies and you know they've only played once on clay actually which Sissipas won 
And as, as well as Zverev's been doing, you know, Sitsipas, I think, has had a higher caliber of opponent. He's played better throughout, you know, the whole clay court season and, and a Roland Garros. And um, I just think he'll he'll have the edge. I mean, it could go four, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's actually quite a routine, un, un sort of, I, I feel like it could be quite an underwhelming semi-final, uh, w- which I think would be fine if people are expecting Novak Rafa to be very, uh, you know, to be a potential absolute thriller, um, which I mean, I guess, should we, should we qu- try and, you know, quickly preview the, um, the Novak Rafa semi, <laughs> because this would be their 58th meeting. Uh, I mean, you've got Djokovic to win this, haven't you? Because you predicted him mm, at the start yep. of the tournament yep. uh, to win. Do you think it's going to be a five setter? Uh, or do you think it's going to be more one-sided? If it does happen, um, and it's looking that way, I think both players are reaching. Uh, some of, have shown some of their best tennis in their kind of quarterfinal matches. Um, so I think it's going to be a very tight affair. Um, and I know kind of what happened last time they played, uh, you know, at Roland Garros, and I know what happened obviously in in Rome as well with Nadal winning earlier on in the clay season. But I've just got a sneaking suspicion. Djokovic uh, might just come through. So I've got Djokovic in five. Interestingly, through to the quarterfinals, um, Novak's break points converted is at 67%, whereas Nadal's break point converting is below 50%. So I don't know if Djokovic is playing the big points better and that might come uh, into play uh, if they do face each other in the semi-finals. But yeah, I, I've sadly got Djokovic for all those Nadal fans uh, Yeah, winning in five. I mean, uh, the Lorenzo Massetti match may have skewed stats slightly uh, because, mm. I mean, I'm not taking anything away from Novak, but the last three sets of that match were extremely one-sided, which may well have <laughs> skewed the stats <laughs> a bit. But um yeah, I, I'll go with Rafa because I, I, at the start of the tournament, I, I picked him. So obviously, I want I want Rafa to win it. Um, I think I might go and put my head in a bucket on Friday. Um, <laughs> I don't I don't think I can bear to watch. To be quite honest with you, so um, yeah, I've <laughs> I'm sort of already got ants in my pants. It's fair to say. <laughs> um, so perhaps we better we better leave it on that uh, on that note. And uh, we'll, we will be back though after whatever happens after that mm. match. Um, I just I just wonder if you know if it is going to be well. It will be a night session. You know if they're going to be affected by the crowd maybe going out halfway through. And I mean, God knows what's going to happen. But we'll be um, we'll be here at some point to to round it up. It will be a thrilling encounter if it does happen, which it looks like it will be. So we will be looking forward to that one. But yeah, this wraps it up for our quarterfinal round by round catch up with the passing shot. I hope you've enjoyed listening to us. Remember, if you want to stay up to date on all things French Open, make sure to subscribe to us on your podcasting platform of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, overcast Castbox, stitcher wherever you listen to your podcast make sure to hit that subscribe button and you can also listen to us on the downloadtennis.com app if you have been enjoying listening to the show and want to help out the show you can also leave us a rating and comment on apple Podcasts. we would really appreciate it if you do we always kind of love reading the the feedback and the support that the kind of listeners give us so um if you want to help out the show uh, and you're thinking how do i do that that is uh, one of the ways that you can help us out 
And you can follow us as well on social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at Passing Shop Pod. So do join us uh, and give us a like and a follow if you don't already. And you can let us know all your thoughts and feedback as well on all those social channels. And if you'd prefer to email us, we can be reached PassingShopPod at gmail.com. And we will be back probably on Friday evening, UK time. We'll see how far into the night that potential semi-final uh, goes assuming that Nadal Djokovic is on that night session so we'll have to wait and see but yeah we are planning on recording our semi-final round by round catch-up on Friday evening UK time so I hope you can join us for that and we will see you again soon Isaac Quainall, Tom Stewart. Now that KO has 4K, people will see every detail. I better wash my hair. Oh, I'll book in a spray tan. Maybe a manicure? I'm shining up my tats. Experience amazing detail with 4K. Now on KO. 